How high can those Toronto Maple Leafs fly? They're sure breaking a lot of records, but is reality going to catch up to them at some point? We'll dissect what they've done in our main topic. Plus, Matt Murray is injured again. A major suspension is reduced. And we talk about annual awards in the Rapid Fire segment. Hope you're ready for episode 141. It starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. We are going to tackle a lot in our main topic about those Toronto Maple Leafs, but first we are going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? Yes, I am. All right, question number 30 is as follows. How often did Phil Housley, who now coaches the Sabres, Win a major NHL trophy during his 21-year Hall of Fame career. A, only once, the Norris Trophy as top defenseman. B, three times, the Calder Trophy as top rookie and two Norris Trophies. C, five times. Or D, he never won any NHL awards. Um, I feel like he won at least one Norris. I don't know if he's won more than that. I don't know. I'm going to say, fine, I'll just go with my gut here. Uh, He won one Norris trophy, and that's it. He never won a single award. Uh, (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Uh, That's right. a tough question. I thought, you know, you would think, you know, a talented player like Phil Housley would get at least some recognition at some right, point, but I, I guess he's it. Leo DiCaprio in this category, and it's it took him forever. The only difference is DiCaprio finally won an Oscar, and right. Housley never got awards. He so. could win a Jack Adams, maybe. That's possible. Yeah, that's true. Maybe maybe the Jack Adams is his first award. We'll yeah. see. Um, also, I mean, you, you mentioned this off air, but, uh, if we're doing statistics here, um, and facts, this is the first, uh, six Canadian teams won on Saturday, and that was the first time, uh, six Canadian teams won on the same date since October 7th, 1989, which seems incredible when you really think about it, because, but then... Like, because, like, there had to be times when all Canadian teams were decent enough to win at least once in a game. But then you think about it, it's like, well, Edmonton's been bad uh, for a long time. Toronto's been bad for a long time. Ottawa's been bad for a long time. Well, in the early years of the 90s, they were horrific. Calgary has also been bad. You know, Vancouver had its ups and downs. Same with Montreal, but it's... You know, more or less, like, they've been bad every now and then. So it's like, I guess and sometimes it makes sense. Yeah. What, what's going to happen is, is sometimes on, like, a Saturday night or whatever, you're going to have Canadian teams squaring off against each other. So yeah. one of them's going to lose. And then another fact, before we go into the big the big uh, facts um, with Austin Matthews and uh, Morgan Riley, uh, the Blackhawks are the first team in NHL history to start the season with five straight OT games. Um, huh which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of interesting. 
Uh, so yes, yeah, so uh, we'll go to uh, Austin Matthews here, um, where they actually played Chicago, so it, that ties things together um, in one of these games. Um, but yeah, so Austin Matthews, uh, we'll start with him. He is uh, he now has he has eleven goals in seven games now. Um, that that is and also fourteen points. So he has uh, three assists or no four assists. Wait, the math game. No, I I think it's 10 goals in six games because the Leafs have only played six games. Yeah, the math, uh, my math is wrong. I have the wrong notes here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he has 10 goals in six games, and he has uh, four assists, um, and that equals to 14 points. Okay, (laughs) now we have it. and a couple, um, so obviously a couple of those goals, like a couple of those games where he had two goals in a game. In fact, he had a streak where he's, uh, in three games, he had two goals um, against Chicago, Dallas, and then Detroit in consecutive games. Um, but uh, anyways, Austin Matthews is the fastest player in angel history to record 10 goals doing so in just six games which surpassed, uh, surpasses uh, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, who held the record with 10 goals in seven games. Um, so so Matthews is already breaking records, which is uh, kind of crazy. Um, re- uh, yeah, I guess we can, we can talk about this before we get into Morgan Riley. Uh, Ray Ferraro claimed that Matthews is now 1A, or 1B to McDavid in terms of best player in the game right now. Well, uh, so Matthews does have, like, he was injured a lot last season, um, but, like, he still has 84 goals in 150 games uh, in his career, which is, you know, pretty good. Um, A very good pace. That's about uh, 56% of the pace, or... 0.56 0.56 goals per game, um, which is you know so half of his games he's he could he's likely to score a goal basically that's what it's saying, um, and so like we all knew that he was a big time goal scorer it seems like he's now on another level I don't know if I would say that he's McDavid level just yet, um, but however I do think that it's like. It's like McDavid, then Matthews, and then everyone else at this point. Um, so Ray Ferraro does have a, it's, it definitely is a hot take. Um, I'm going to say that it's slightly not as hot, but I think it's like Matthews is just on another level, but not McDavid yet. Do you have a opinion on this before yeah, we get into Morgan Riley? Well, the, yeah, there's there's no question that he's on another planet right now. Like, he's been working on his skating. He, he worked on that a lot during the offseason. Um, he also worked on his release quite a bit, and it's shown because the majority of his goals this year have been high-glove side, which, you know... It's one thing to, you know, like go low blocker or low glove or five full. When you're sniping shots, high glove side, you're, that that basically just, 
tells you how good of a release Austin Matthews. And when I saw his stats against Montreal in the first game of the year, I wasn't really blown away because he's already he's always seemed to put on a good first impression in season openers. In his rookie sure. year, of course, he had that four goal game against my Senators. Um, yep. In his second season opener, he got a goal and two assists. And then 2018-2019, he opens up with a two-goal game. So seven goals, two assists in three season openers. So that's basically the Austin Matthews standard. Uh, But since that opening game, he's become the first double-digit goal scorer in the NHL this year. Um, He scored about one-third of the least total goals this year to date. He's only made 20 shots, so his shooting percentage is exactly 50%, which is absolutely bonkers. And much like Morgan Riley, he's not even the top 50 at his position when it comes to average ice time per game. He's 64th amongst NHL forwards with an average of 18 minutes and 35 seconds per contest. And when, when I just take a look at stats where he's beating Wayne Gretzky, um. It's absolutely insane. It's no question that Austin Matthews is the best player in the league right now. But is he better than Connor McDavid or on the same level as Connor McDavid? Like, we all know what Connor McDavid can do, how dominant of a forward he can be. He's done that the past two years. We haven't seen Austin Matthews do that for 10 games. So. If, okay, if he has, if he continues this pace right now, this ridiculous pace, and he's able to like put up like a hundred points this year and fifty goals and and stuff like that, if he has one of those seasons, I would consider putting him on the same level as Connor McDavid. But six games into an NHL season is way too soon to be playing that. He's like Connor McDavid label, like he's got the reputation like the potential to become a Connor McDavid. But the sample size, the volume just isn't there for me to say yeah. he's on the same level as Connor McDavid right now. Because Connor McDavid's only played in like three or four games. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, he also like, I'm looking at his stats now. It's like last year he was injured for about 20 games. He still mm-hmm. had like 34 points. Are 34 goals um, and yeah. 63 points um, in those games. So it's like uh, uh, it's like 63 points in 62 games. So he's like he's still like an elite level player. Um, but I think it. Yeah, no, you're right. In terms of consistency, I would like to see more of it and see how he does healthy. Like, is if this is yeah. what he's like throughout. Um, we haven't seen a completely yeah. healthy Austin Matthews yet for, like, a guy who's played, like, 82 games. He hasn't played an 82-game season yet. Well, yeah, it's his rookie year, but uh, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, and then we uh, we also should talk about Morgan Riley, who had, um, who also in those six games, uh, or I guess we're talking about his first five games, um, he has 12 assists, um, wait, no, no, that's, that's not right. Uh, he has 12 points in five games. Um, this is a record that he tied with Orr for most points by a defenseman, um, in the first five games. Uh, he now has 13 assists in six games. 
Um, I believe that that's what he has. Let me look. Uh, 13 points in six games, you mean? Uh, yes. Is that what I mean? Yes, that is what I mean. Yes. Uh, <laughs> By the way, six of those 13 points have come on the power play. So yeah. not not all, and, and let's remind people, his career high in power play points last year was 25. Right. He's already got six, and they haven't even played 10 games yet. Yeah, and it, I mean, like, obviously Morgan Riley is not Bobby Orr, um, and that's that, but, like, you know, that's still pretty good for uh, for a, a defenseman, obviously. But it is funny, because we did talk and about... again... What? What were you going to say? And it should be noted that he's 66 and average ice time per game amongst NHL defensemen. So, like... He's leading defenseman in points right now, and he's not even in the top 50 in average time on ice per game, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, right, I mean, I, I, like, the funny thing is, is, or I guess it's not really funny per se, but we've been talking this entire summer that, like, Toronto still doesn't have great defense, um, but, like, you know, their defensemen aren't up to par. But, like, we, when it, whenever I mention that, or whenever I'm critical about their defensemen, it's not really Morgan Riley I'm concerned about, or Jake Gardner even. Um, but it's more, like, their offense of the game is top-notch for sure. It's their defensive game that I'm more worried about um, mm-hmm. for them. Because you and, can only play yeah. run and gun for so long and outscore everybody exactly. for so long, right? right? Like, exactly. the, the fact is, they've given up 21, 21, 22 goals in their first six games. Yeah. And so, like, exactly. Like, so, so like, uh, you know, Tavares has been great. So has um, Kapanen, which we'll get into in a second. But, like, they, they've, so far, they have 29 goals for and 22 goals against. Um, they're le- they're the best team in the league, so I can't like really you can't really knock them for that. But that's got to change. That point differential has got to change. It's um, so it's um, you know that that little like uh, goals against average is uh, not good um, to, to have twenty two goals against um, in there. Um, you know, at like in the first six games, so. Um, but that's something that's got to change. I do think that Anderson um, can be on another level, so I there is that added factor to it. But uh, that is something to look out for with these these Maple Leafs. Um, also, uh, so I did mention Tavares; he has ten points. Six of those were goals. Uh, Marner has ten points as well. Three of those were goals. And then the big one is Casperi uh, Kapanen, who has uh, six goal, six points in six games, two goals and four assists. Um, he's kind of taken over for uh, Nylander's spot on the on the team right now, um, and he's been pretty good on that top line there. Um, I'm not necessarily sure what's going to happen when when or if Nylander signs. Um, uh, like, are they going to move Kapanen down uh, the line? Because, you know, Kapanen's been pretty good on that line. 
Um, so uh, maybe they they don't do that. Um, I kind of I have a new opinion where I feel like they should trade Nylander now because it's not like you know just trade Nylander for a defensive depth guy. I mean, obviously you don't do like a Taylor Hall for for Adam Larson type deal, but like you do something where you get uh, a guy who like a defensive defenseman plus maybe like a prospect or so um, or a pick just so you have some, you know, like an insurance policy. And then you you can afford to have Kapanen, because Kapanen has shown that he is capable of, of what, um, you know, of being solid so far. Although I guess you could mention that it's, we'll we'll wait a month to see how consistent Kapanen can be. Um, But it does seem like Kapanen... Um, has been pretty good in that spot that could be where uh, Nylander was. So, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Has this changed your opinion on on Nylander because Kapanen has been so good? So let's take a look at some of the other guys you just mentioned. Obviously, yep. Matthew's success, um, I think part of it has to do with John Tavares hogging up a bit of ice time because everyone's kind of like forgetting about Austin Matthews because they're so focused on John Tavares. And what's interesting uh, about John Tavares is he's averaging the same amount of ice time as Kucherov and slightly more than Crosby. But he's still out of the top 30 in that stat category amongst forwards. And yet he's six goal. He's got six goals on the year, third on uh, the goal scoring list behind Pasternak and Matthews. Um, he also has two power play goals. Matthews does four. Um, and like Morgan Riley, he's mustered uh, a fair amount of shots. He's he's mustered the same amount of shots as Morgan Riley. But I think his production could continue to increase if his power play role is a perfect fit. Last year, James Van Riemsdyk scored all 11 power play goals from the inner slot area. In that same spot last year, Tavares scored seven of his 12 power play goals. And according to The Point, be sure to give them a follow at The Point Hockey if you haven't already. There are a bunch of beauties. Tavares has had an inner slot shot percentage of 23.8% with the extra man over his final two seasons with the Islanders. And in his final two years with the Leafs, JVR's was 23.1. So when you take that into account, you're going to have John Tavares putting up points, scoring goals, because the Leafs are just that good depth-wise. That brings us to Mitch Marner, who is just one of seven players in the NHL to accumulate at least 10 points after... um, October 13th uh, gameplay. And, of course, the other uh, three of those seven players also play on the Leafs. But uh, Mitch Marner has averaged 20 more seconds of ice time more than Austin Matthews has. He's only four points back of him in the scoring standings. And he also leads the NHL in takeaways with 10. That creates opportunities for your team to score more goals. And then you have Kasperi Kapanen, who is fifth in Leafs scoring after six games. He has two goals and four assists. He averages roughly 15 minutes of ice time per night. 
not afraid to go to the net. Uh, we saw in that Washington game on that beautiful tipping goal. Um, he's not afraid to go to the net, look for the deflection, look for those garbage goals, and he's got a lot of speed. And I definitely think it's going to have an impact on how the Nylander situation plays out. But I don't think it's necessarily going to get William Nylander traded at this point. Because if you look at Riley and Matthews breaking all those records, and you look at what Tavares has done, and you look at what Marner's done, you're going to make the argument, why should a long-term deal be the right avenue for the Leafs and William Nylander right now? Why should we? Why should they pay him over $6 million per year if a guy like Kapanen steps in and not only fills the void, but is scoring at a point-per-game pace with limited ice time? So I think for the sake of keeping their core together and trying to appease young guys, because that's part of the message that Kyle Dubas sent, right? We can and we will keep our core of young pieces together and keep John Tavares in the mix. So I think he's going to do everything in his power to keep William Nylander in Toronto. I do think the longer that William Nylander sticks out, the bigger of a hit his stock is going to take. And I think at that point, if he's going to stay in Toronto, it's going to have to be a bridge deal. Because if he's going to stubborn, if he's going to be stubborn and wait out a long-term deal, um, and if the and if the Leafs continue to go on this kind of a pace, or even just even if they even if they sacrifice like a tenth of their current offense right now, they're still a good team. Um, so I definitely think the longer Nealander holds out, the tougher of a position he's going to be in. And if he's going to be that kind of a stubborn guy and wait out his long-term deal, um, this could drag into November or December and either a bridge deal is going to be signed or he could get traded. Because like you said, if William Nylander can get the least what they want, which is a top four defenseman, why wouldn't you make that trade if it makes your team better? If, if the player that you're hoping to sign isn't willing to play for you. Yeah, the, I guess, I mean, I guess it makes sense to keep Nylander because, you know, it's always good to have depth like that. I, I was just thinking in terms of the fact that Kapanen has been able to replace Nylander pretty seamlessly right now. So it seems yeah. like, like, oh, well, you don't necessarily need Nylander anyways, so you could, like... And he's, you know, it seems like he has contract disputes. So there is this possibility that he could, um, you know, and it seems like he's having this, like, you know, this stubbornness here. Um, and he could get a, a fair amount for him. So I feel like you could address your needs by trading Nylander. Because it's not like you need extra depth because they already have a ton of depth already. You have Nazem Kadri on the third line. So yeah. it's so I feel like they could afford to trade Nylander and get something back for him. Um however, I mean you do have a point in terms of like right, there is this possibility that Kapanen doesn't you know, isn't consistent and this is just like, you know, he's not he's not as good as he as he is right now. So there is that possibility, but 
I feel like at the same time, if there's a trade out there that works for your team, then I think you do it. Um, where you get like, you know, you just get like maybe like an Eric Johnson type uh, of player um, and then maybe a prospect or a pick. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a team out there that's willing to do that. Um, if, they, if Eric Johnson goes from Colorado, because that's where he well, is. Well, I, I just I just suggested Eric Johnson. It, it does, like I was just thinking of that that type of player, not necessarily Eric Johnson per se. Because I don't. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's that would that would just be. That would just be uh, absolutely right. hilarious no. move for Colorado to make because they have so much offense. Right, but no, no, no. He, he, I, when I say Eric Johnson, I was just throwing that out there. It's yeah, not no, no, actually no. going to uh, – that's not actually going to happen. I don't expect yeah. that to happen. But I, 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 I do think, though, like I said, if this drags into November, if this drags into December and Kapanen continues to play this way yeah. – then I see the likelihood of a trade increasing significantly because if if Kapanen can produce at the level that Nylander can and you still have him under contract for a couple of years, you know, you might be prolonging paying a big-name player significant money. But if you end up re-signing Nylander to a long-term deal and Kapanen continues to play well and you got to re-sign him, well, then you got to make a choice. Is it Nylander or Kapanen or somebody else that has to go? Yeah. Because you can't obviously keep both of them on long-term contracts. So uh, that's why I say, you know, you got to let it drag on to as long as you want or as long as you can. Like if it's in November or December, like Jacob Truba with the Jets. Like the Jets, you know, they 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 were patient. They didn't force anything. And by December, Jacob Truba had a contract when it looked like his time in Winnipeg was pretty much done. Right. So, um, like 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 I said, a lot can still happen within the next month or so. And I'm not jumping the gun on William Nylander and his future in Toronto, but um. It, it, there's definitely some leverage that William Nylander doesn't have right now uh, that he did have two weeks ago. Because right. now the Leafs are going on this tour in pace without him. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, let's go to the... Yeah, I guess this is going to be a hot topic now that we've oh, talked about gonna this. Be, it's going to be... T- they're gonna, the Leafs are going to give yeah. us so many things to talk about this yeah, year, yeah. and I can't wait. It's, well, no, I, I was it's, talking... It's, it's, it's free prep material for, for us hockey nerds. Right, exactly. Um, no, I, I was talking specifically about Nylander, because this is the second week where we've talked about Nylander at length. So, um... Yeah. But uh, so let's let's go to the rapid fire. Um, not too much to talk about this week. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with because last week we covered a lot. Uh, this week uh, we decided to do something a little bit different, where we have different predictions for um, the five major awards that are handed out: um, the Hart, the Vezina, the Art Ross, the Rocket Richard, and the Norris. Um, yeah, so, uh, these are so hard to predict. I mean, I guess the easiest thing to do is just (laughs) predicting McDavid's going to win all of them, but, uh, (laughs) 
Uh, including even, the Vezina. Including the Vezina and the, the Norris. Yeah. In the league. He's going to have a perfect save percentage. Yeah. Including the and, – and the Norris, of, he's of gonna, course. He's going to stop one shot yeah. on an empty net, and that's going to get him the Vezina. Yeah, yeah. Because he's also a, he's also a defenseman. Yeah, that's that's also going to win him the Norris too. Um, so, uh, yeah. Anyways, I I tried not to make McDavid be all the answers to the ones that he's eligible for, because uh, you do bring up a good point there. But um, so I guess we can start with the heart. Um, so for those who don't know, the heart is the most valuable player. Um, it's a little confusing because it seems like it's about, um, you know, because la- last year there was a big debate if it was going to be between Taylor Hall and McDavid, but because, like, because it, it's not necessarily the best player, um, it's always is just the most valuable to their team. And since Hall had like a twenty, a thirty, had thirty points more than the second highest team, uh, the player in his team, and the Devils made it into the playoffs. Um, Hall basically won, even though yeah, Mc- like we all thought Kucherov was probably going to win, he wasn't even nominated. Exactly, and even though like McDavid had the most points by far out of anyone last year, he was. I think he, oh no, not by, not by far, actually, because Claude Giroux had 102 points, Kucherov had 100 points, but McDavid had 108 points, um, but because Edmonton wasn't bad as a whole, you can make a case that he, you know, let Taylor Hall is more valuable to New Jersey than uh, McDavid is to Edmonton. Um, so, uh, so in that sense, I think this could happen again where Taylor Hall uh, basically wills the Devils into the playoffs and uh, and he takes the heart with him um, and that and so I think Taylor, I have Taylor Hall as the heart winner this year. Well, I'm hesitant right now to say Maple Leaf is going to win because everybody on their offense is going to get a chance to shine this year. And provided that happens, individual stats are going to be sacrificed. And even if individual stats aren't sacrificed, it's going to be, well, it's because they have so-and-so on their team. That's probably giving them more opportunities. Right. So um, I'm not going to say a Maple Leaf is going to win. Um, but I am going to say, if he continues to play at this pace, I think Patrice Bergeron has a very good chance oh, of hitting 90 good points. One. I like that. <laughs> and I, I think that would be good enough for at least a top three vote, provided the Bruins make it into the postseason. I think they will. But I think it's all going to hinge on what the Oil, uh, what the Edmonton Oilers do this year. If they yep. get in and McDavid is his usual dominant self, he's going to win it because he's one of the most talented players in the league. He's a moneymaker, whereas... Patrice Bergeron is that quiet leader who does everything right but doesn't really ask for that much credit. Yeah. And he doesn't get all the attention like a Connor McDavid would or a Sidney Crosby would. Yeah. And that's going to hurt Patrice Bergeron. So if the Oilers don't make it and McDavid isn't his dominant self, I go Patrice Bergeron. But like I said, if it's one of those years where I said a couple of seasons ago where McDavid leads the league in scoring and the Oilers make the playoffs, no way anyone beats Connor McDavid. So the thing with having either like Bergeron or Matthews, like you're suggesting, or any of the Maple Leafs, 
like you're suggesting, is because, like, they're kind of hindered by having, like, being on a pretty good team already. So it's like, if you choose Matthews to be a hard trophy, it's like, well, you can make a case that Tavares makes their team better. Or you can make a case that Morgan Riley makes their team better. Or you yeah, can make a case that Marner. I guess that kind of hurt right. Kucherov last year, too, because they right. had Stamkos and Point emerged exactly. as well as a good player. And Gord, yeah. And so, so you can make the same case for Bergeron, where it's like, okay, well, Bergeron is doing really well right now, but they also have Brad Marchand. You could also make a case that Passer next making, uh, you know, is is pretty good too. So, um, and even like Charlie McAvoy is is getting into the mix here and there. Although I don't think he's going to win the heart. Uh, but uh, the so I think there is that uh, there is that aspect of because because of the the Bruins are on you know a very good team, and same with Toronto. It's like all the play, all the top players on those teams kind of cancel each other out when it comes to hard votes. So I feel like it could make sense to have, like, um, just be, like, one player who's doing all the points or doing all the work. So, like, you can make a case, like, uh, let's say if Carolina makes the playoffs, uh, it's kind of hard not to say that Sebastian Ajo isn't the hard trophy winner. Or uh, Tyler Sagan um, is another one. Yeah, Um, Sagan was another one that that popped into my mind as well. Although Radulov and Jamie Benn are also doing pretty well too, so they'd they'd have to... You'd have to f- worry and about this those is guys. Why it's so tough six yeah. games into the year to say, oh, who, who's, right. the, who's the guy you're going with? Like, even even at the halfway point, it's not easy because so much right. can happen. But, well, I mean, that's why. This, this is all hypothetical. Right. Well, that's why, I mean, we were originally going to do these predictions before the season started. But, um, so I that's why I kind of try to say, like, I feel like Taylor Hall is a safe bet this year because if as long as he's good and they make the playoffs I feel like uh Taylor Hall could make uh could make some noise here um see here's 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 the thing with Bergeron okay um Bergeron wasn't healthy at parts of last year and the Bruins did fine without him I think if he plays a full season on the top line, and the top line continues to be relied upon, I I think he's a top three candidate, at least, for the Hart Trophy. Because when you think of the top line, Patrice Bergeron has been a force on that top line for so long. Yep. Um, Listen, I I would love if Patrice Bergeron got some heart love, but I, I I just don't see it considering that I also... Would love it if Pasternak got some heart love or Marshawn got some heart love, but I feel like they all cancel each other out. Um, I do think I, that. I just think Bergeron's a driving force of that offense, and I think he's finally due to get some recognition, yeah. some much needed recognition that he has well, gotten previously. He does have some recognition by getting all those selkies, but yeah, no. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. The, so, the so I don't, trophy, I, guess. I don't know if he necessarily needs to. Uh, needs that much recognition considering he already has it. But yeah, no, I, 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 I do think that he, sh- I mean, I, I would love it if he won the heart. I just don't see it. Um, let's go to the Vezina here. Uh, this one's also kind of a tough one because, you know, 
because goaltending so, I don't know, like inconsistent. There's no like real con- consistent goalie out there. Like I guess you could say like Braden Holtby, um, but he had a bad year last year, so that's even tough to say. Um, I was gonna go with either Vasilevsky or uh, Hellebuck. I think those two are the front runners. Um, and then I had like a dark horse candidate of Gibson because he's uh, he's been on another level this year. Yeah, Gibson's been playing yeah. ridiculous. Um, I also feel like if uh, Arizona can get some wins, uh, Anti Ranta has a shot there. Um, but I I think I'm gonna have to give it to Vasilevsky. But Gibson early on has kind of almost convinced me that maybe he can uh, he can make some um, make some noise in the Vezina race. Yeah, I'm pretty much on the exact same wavelength as you. I think it's I think Halibut and Vasilevsky are more likely to replicate their numbers from last year. I think Anderson could be a dark horse candidate if he yep. continues to uh, improve on his game. Uh, but you're right, Gibson is a major wild card if he keeps this up. I yep. really, really do think he's playing like the best goalie in the league right now. Yeah, especially considering that we they don't have Corey Perry. Um, they don't have, well, I guess they have Ryan Kessler back, which we'll talk about in a second. They don't have Kashe. They have a lot of injuries. Um, and like, Anaheim's not really that great of a team now. Oh, they don't have Getzlav now. So it's like, uh, you know, John Gibson's basically their team. So I feel like that makes it that much of a difference. He's um, not their team, but he is their defense. Like, exactly. he's stopping pretty much everything he has yeah. to. Um, some other dark horse candidates, although I guess this guy isn't really a dark horse considering he won it last year, but I feel like I should mention it. Uh, Pekka Rene uh, last year, because he won it last year, but... Um, he's, he could get, uh, some votes, um, if he picks things up. Uh, Semyon Varlamov is another one. Um, maybe Robin Leonard. Um, he could be a, although I guess Robin Leonard is probably a Masterton, uh, candidate. Yeah, <laughs> but, I think, I think he could be a solid Masterton vote. But, uh, he's also, I mean, he's, he could, he has a 937 save percentage and a 202 GAA at currently with that's two games played. So, uh, yeah, so that's pretty good too. So I feel like, uh, so that's another one. Ben Bishop, if Dallas is a, a legitimate team, uh, that's another one. That's another dark horse as well. So, um, but it is a little too, it's a little early, I guess, but, um, there's a lot of good goalies out there. It's just, uh, can they, uh, be better than what they are? Art Ross, um, I think this is going to be another one where we're going to be on the same page. Um, it is tempting to go with Austin Matthews, just considering his big run right now, but I think McDavid um, still uh, will get the most points. Um, I I guess the question is, is, will he get more than 108 points, which is what he had last year? Um I think he could. Um, I, I, the Bruins played the Oilers on uh, Thursday. I just remember, like, like it was early on in the game, um, and 
like McDavid like just had a breakaway and I was like okay like I just, I like I was like oh like he already scored even before he scored it um, and I was just like oh yeah of course McDavid scores that it's just like he's he's like on automatic uh, you scoring don't even machine need to put a number and an eight yeah. bar on the back just by the way he skates you know who has it exactly so it's like oh McDavid has a breakaway uh, okay I guess it's one nothing them all right whatever so <laughs> I mean. It turns out that was the only point they had that game, but uh, that just shows like how much skill he has because like he is the best player by far on that team, and he's the best player by far uh, against everyone else in the league. So I feel like um, the only thing that's going to stop him down is the team itself. Um, like the team's kind of holding him back. So there is that worry where it's like, well, can he manage to even get to a hundred points if he's on this bad of a team? So I feel like the, the team kind of has to pick it up for him to, uh, to even make some noise. But, um, at the same time, it's like, you know, he's incredible to watch. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of like just sad cause it's a wasted talent. And all, but um, yeah, I think uh, just I, I, I feel like you have to you have to be crazy to say that McDavid's not getting the Art Ross at this point. Yeah, I I think it's gonna be neck and neck between him and Tyler Sagan. Actually, oh, well. uh, right now Tyler's in a log jam for fourth place on the scoring list. But like I said, McDavid's only played in two or three games for Edmonton. He's gonna find his groove eventually. I think by December he's gonna be in the top ten scoring list. And with the way that the Dallas Stars offense has relied on Tyler to date, it'd be interesting to see if he's still gonna be getting as many chances to do damage in let's say March or April. Um, I definitely think Tyler Sagan's going to be a top 10 scorer this year, but I think in order for him to beat out McDavid, he needs to clean house on the power play. And right yeah. now he's got four power play points. So um, I think he's certainly on the right track, but um, it's a matter of in March or April, where's Tyler going to be and where's McDavid going to be. But I, I, I give the slight edge to McDavid because it's Connor McDavid. You don't need to worry about, whether or not the Oilers finish the playoffs, it's whoever's got the most points. And yep. uh, I think McDavid is probably going to get the most because um, the uh, the Oilers, especially if they rely on that top line for all their offense and their depth doesn't really shine, um, McDavid could be getting a lot of points this year. Yeah, Tyler Sagan's an interesting uh, pick here. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess... He, I mean, he does get a lot of assists, that's true, and angles, so he is definitely capable of it. He would just have to, it's just not like, or not necessarily sure if he can reach that, like, that level yet. Um, he hasn't hit 100 uh, points yet. I don't even think he's hit 90 points um, in his no, career. I, no, I don't think he's ever hit 90 points in his career. Yeah, his highest was 84 points. Um, his first year on the stars. Um, yeah. but, uh, so, so that would be, uh, interesting to see if he, if, he, if Tyler Sagan gets, uh, uh, gets a hundred points, then I think, uh, for sure he, he will get a hard trophy at least. Um, uh, yeah. Um, also I guess another candidate could be like, uh, 
Um, who's oh Kuznetsov is another one who I feel like uh, could could reach that level. Yeah, um, yeah, he's a, he's another dark horse for me. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Rocket Richard. Um, I, I it is very tempting to go with Austin Matthews. Um, it, it just hope like given that he's healthy. Um, but before the season, I would probably say Patrick Laine. Um, I know he doesn't have Paul Stasny anymore, um, and Brian Little is a is a downgrade uh, for him. But I still think he's like the the best goal scorer in the league. Um, so I I feel like uh, I feel like uh, I my pick is Patrick Laine, um, even though he hasn't shown it this early on. Yeah, I think he's going to win the award, too. I don't think you're going to see a 50-goal guy in the NHL this year. I think Matthews is definitely going to be close, but I don't think he's going to maintain this absurd goal-scoring pace that he's on right now. Uh, Both Matthews and Line A have awesome release points, and I think it's going to come down to the wire as to who wins. Um, Obviously, the Leafs have Tavares and Matthews as the goal scorers, and they're going to get – more than their fair share of chances, respectively, to distribute the wealth a little bit. But you look at Wheeler and Shifley as the primary playmakers on the Jets, Line's got that shot. And every single chance they have a chance to give him the puck, they're going to give it to him, and he's yeah. going to have to let it rip. So I think Line's going to have more opportunities to score goals, and for that reason, I think he wins. Yeah, I mean, I do think that Matthews is more natural of a shot. Um but I do think that Line A um, it has is on a better, t- slightly better team. Um, so I feel like there's a, more of a chance that Line A can get things going. Um, well, I, I think it's because uh, again, like I said, you have two goal scorers in Tavares and Matthews yeah. on Toronto. You have a primary goal scorer in Line A in Winnipeg. You got some playmaker. You got some playmakers in Winnipeg. Right. And Line A is the primary pure goal scorer that they have the Leafs have too right so obviously just based on that I think line a is going to get the, the most opportunities to score goals because he is the primary shot guy right the Leafs have two of those true although I will say that uh you mentioned Wheeler and Shifley they're not on line a's line um so <laughs> that that's a tough uh, that's a tongue twister. So there, there is that to consider. But yeah, um, I do agree in terms of like in terms of goal scores on that Winnipeg Jets team. Uh, Line A is their best uh, sniper um, for sure. But like on Toronto, it's like you have Matthews. Uh, like if Matthews struggles, then you have Tavares. But um, but I think it's I think it's pretty much between Line A and Matthews at this point. Um, I do think Wheeler and Shifley are going to play a big role on the power play, and I think that's, that's where Lenny's going to do some damage as well. There is the power play aspect of things, that's true. Um, I feel like we should give some dark horses, like maybe Nathan McKinnon is another yeah, one. Yeah, McKinnon, um, McKinnon could be a good one, yeah. Uh, even Sagan is another one. Patrick Kane, yeah. um, if he gets back to uh, you know uh, being healthy again. Um you know, Chicago could be a interesting team here. Oh, and uh, shout out, I don't think Taze continues, but a shout out for Taze for getting five goals already. Um, 
I think he had five goals in three games. Um, so yeah, uh, shout out to number like that. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the Norris. Uh, so this is all. <laughs> this is an award that no one can. Uh, uh, that none of these players can really have. Uh, that we talked about. I'm gonna say. Um, I feel like. I I have a feeling you're gonna say Eric Carlson. Um, but I feel like Brent, since Brent Burns is on the team, I think you could make a case that they're going to cancel each other out in terms of votes. Um, and in which case, I'm going to go with a Victor Hedman. Um, and I feel like, uh, but like he's like I could see him getting like 70 points um, and and being like very good. Uh, for their teams once the the lightning get really get going, so I I think he um, he has the potential to be um, the best defenseman in the league. Um, other dark horse candidates like uh, John Carlson, uh, Chris Letang, John Klingberg. Um, and this may be very homery of me, but I feel like J- Charlie McAvoy could uh, make the leap. Um, and be a, a Norris contender. Um, and then um, another one that I feel like could make the leap, uh, Ivan Provorov as well. But uh, they haven't shown it yet, per se, although McAvoy has five points in five games. Um, but um, I think they both have a chance to uh, you know, be in the mix of things um, yeah. when all of a sudden... Uh, yeah, uh, like last year, Brent Burns started off pretty slow, but he was in the thick of the Norris Trophy race by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlson, I don't think, has even scored a goal for the Sharks yet. Uh, if he has, it's only been one or two. So um, he hasn't. I- I'm not concerned about Carlson and Burns right now, or Victor Hedman. I, I expect all three to be in the chase for the Norris, but <laughs> you're going to love this. If the Sens are a team that's in contention for a wild card and Shabbat finishes as the points wow. leader, he's going to win no matter what. Yeah. I'm I, loving what I'm seeing from Thomas Shabbat right now. I feel like he's a good dark horse as well. I was tempted to say Shabbat, but then I felt like you were going to laugh at me. So it's Eight <laughs> points in five but, games leads the yeah. team. That's that's not that's not much to laugh at, really. That's pretty true. Impressive. But when you look at their actual team, it's it's still. I mean, it's like okay, yeah. of course he is the best player on that team. I, I think, like I said, <laughs> if they're knocking on the doorstep of a wild card berth, even if they don't get a wild card, yeah. if they're just knocking on the doorstep, I think he wins. If he, especially if he leads the team in points, I think he wins. Yeah, I think it all depends though on if the if the Sharks are actually like if the if this the Sharks if the Senators are actually um you know, if they're like a like if they're for real, um like we like we'll talk about them in the Shark, Bruins Sens segment. If they're for real, then I feel like uh yeah, Shabbat is a serious contender there. But I just, I don't know if he's, but like, I feel like the Sens are going to trail off pretty soon. Yeah. So, uh, 
Like, so like at I the said, moment, I'm, I'm not Shabbat. I'm blocking him down as the Norse candidate, but don't sleep okay. on him either. I think, so, I think Shabbat could do a lot better. Okay. I, th I, I think he could have. So who is your actual pick? Um, if the Sens don't, if the, let's I, say the I, Sens are doing what we expect them to do. I think it's probably going to be Hedman who wins. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> I thought you were going to fight me on Eric Carlson being the Norris Trophy or not. but <laughs> I, I, I I definitely think he's going to be in the hunt. I think he's going to be a top three, but I don't think he's yeah. going to win it. Um, also, like, I, although uh, I guess they're, the Sharks are playing right now and Burns just got an assist, uh, Burns and Carlson are both known to be slow starters, so I don't... Um, I don't expect them to, uh, I think like if they still have a slow start until like, I don't know, uh, December, then I think it's time to worry. But at the moment, I don't think we should worry about them. Um, although I don't even think you should really worry them about them at all. Cause they have like three points. Well, Carlson has three points. Burns has four points. Um, I guess it's more the goals are the concern, but. Um, I feel like, I, I don't know, I don't think they're, it's that concerning just yet. Um, <clears throat> in terms of injuries here, uh, so that, that concludes our, I mean, I guess before I get to that, um, that concludes our award stuff and watch us be hyster uh, hilariously wrong with everything. Um, so that should be fun. <laughs> um, all right, let's see here. Um, so the, uh, we covered a lot of injuries already, um, last week. Um, I think we did find out, I, I guess I should mention that, uh, JV, JVR is out six to eight weeks. Jonathan. I actually heard, I, I heard five to six actually. Oh, five but, to six. Um, it, 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 it could change. So. Uh, Jonathan Quick's out five, oh, J, JVR is five to six weeks. Uh, I think, did we mention Luongo last week? I think we did. We did mention Luongo was day-to-day, -day, but we didn't know that much. We can tell you he is out two to four weeks. Two to four weeks. Uh, Joe Thornton has a knee infection, so it doesn't seem like it's that serious. And Quick is on IR. There's no real timetable just yet. Um, and then some new injuries that we have here. Uh, Brandon Dubinsky, uh, seems to be, it looks like it's an oblique injury, um, but they say that he's out four to six weeks. Um, I don't know, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's been kind of, it seems like he's always, like, there's always one time, one period of time where Dubinsky's injured, it just, like, that just happens to him. Um, so I don't know if it's like a huge loss, but at the same time, Blue Jackets don't really have a ton of depth. Um, so that may be a concern for them in the future. Um, if, if he's seriously out for a long time, but he is like a good big time, like two way forward for them. So, um, and then they lost eight to two last, uh, yesterday on Saturday. So maybe they do miss him. Um, there is that possibility. Um, and then... Yeah, and take, taking a look at, at, at what he's done so far, one goal, one, one assist in two games. So there's the depth scoring that they need. And last year, he only had six goals and 16 points, missed 20 games. Um, that was the lowest offensive season of his career. But when you look at um, 
where Columbus uh, sits at Dubinsky's position, they still have Dubois, they still have Felino, they still have Riley Nash, they still have Alex Wenberg. So while Dubinsky's out, it, it's not the end of the world offensively for Columbus. But like you said, a veteran presence that's not going to be in the lineup, that's not going to be able to wreak havoc for the other top guns in the Metro Division because he's one of those guys that kind of likes to get chippy and mix it up a little bit. And without that kind of um, presence, that basically is something it, – it's it's kind of like a defensive defenseman. Like he's a shutdown four. Right. And when you look at Seth Jones being out of the lineup and Bobrovsky facing enough pressure as it is um, – Columbus can't really afford to give up any goals. So I think, like you said, the two-way aspect is what hurts Columbus the most, not what he brings offensively. Yeah, that's true. It's like he he doesn't have a ton of offensive upside per se, but I feel like he still like brings some level of defensiveness uh, to the team um, yeah. that's missing. Yeah. Uh, it appears that I guess we should have led this off with Matt Murray has a concussion. Um, it looks like he's day to day though. Um, he apparently he he was dressed as a backup, so he could be yeah. back this week per se. But uh, he didn't start off great. Uh, he went one for he was one for one with a GAA of five point four seven. And a save percentage of eight thirty one. Um, so uh, that's not great. But uh, Casey DeSmith came into his role um, as the backup. Um, he's actually been decent. Um, he's one zero and one with a two point four zero GAA and a save percentage of nine thirty five. Um, so so that's not bad. But um, yeah, I don't. I. It's it's kind of interesting because Matt Murray's you know last year he kind of had a disappointing season last year, um, and you know this was supposed to be his like a year where he comes back to what we know he's capable of. But you know it could be another situation kind of like Cam Ward where you know Cam Ward if you remember uh, in two thousand three he had this like incredible playoff run. Um, yeah. and then he was never able to replicate it in the regular season. So this could be something that we're looking at for Matt Murray, um, where he's, he's not able to, uh, replicate it, even though we know that he's capable of it in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, it's, um, uh, we'll see how it goes, but, uh, yeah, he has a concussion. Um, I would, I'm kind of surprised that he, I thought it would be like a it would take longer. I'm kind of surprised that he's he's now dressed as a backup for them. Um, and I, I think that's a very big concern because yeah. this is his fourth concussion in two years. And if you remember what happened with Crawford, like he was out for a bit of time, then he comes back, then he gets hurt again, and he hasn't played since. Right. So the last thing you want to do is rush. Uh, Matt Murray back too soon. Especially and someone like this, Matt Murray. In this yeah. situation, I guess you got to trust that Matt Murray knows his body, and and if he's ready, he's ready. If he feels True. like he's ready to go, then I guess, you know, it's it's tough to question a player when they think that they're ready to go. So the, the Penguins have really got to tread carefully, and I think if he does come back, they really need to manage his minutes because um, if they rush him back too soon, um, 
they could be missing him for an extended period of time if he gets another one. Yeah, uh, that's true. I guess it's, um, it's yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's kind of a tricky situation because he's also twenty four years old. Uh, um, so it's like uh, you don't want you have to be careful with him. But yeah, you like know. you don't want a player of his caliber. You know, just exactly. like rushing back for the next couple of weeks, and then he's never the same again. Like, right. This guy's got so much potential. This guy can do so much good for the Penguins organization or any team he plays on. And to have a career wasted away by concussions would, like, you, you hate to see that. So, yeah, no, that's ho- true. Hopefully, hopefully they don't brush him back. And if they if they have to put him back on IR, put him back on IR. The, the next time I see Matt Murray on the ice, I want to see the good Matt Murray. I want to see a healthy Matt Murray. Yep. No. That's- and then lastly, we before we get to Bruins and Sens segment, um, the Austin Watson, um, they reduced his uh, his games uh, that he was suspended for from twenty seven to eighteen uh, by an arbitrator on appeal. I um, mean, it turns out that uh, it was because his girlfriend Jen Guardino issued a statement Saturday saying that the incident on June 16 was not an act of domestic violence and that Watson would never hit or abuse her. Um, And she says, quote, My behavior and state of intoxication led to the police being involved that day, Gordino said. I have struggled with alcoholism for many years and I am actively involved in AA. I am fortunate to have Austin's continued support with my treatment. We handled matters poorly on June 16th and know that we need to make better decisions going forward. Uh, Gardino also apologized to everyone involved, including the Predators and the city of Nashville. Um, so it turns out that this was just... Um, this was just a, like, um, you know, maybe this was just a mishap. Um, and, like, this wasn't necessarily domestic assault because it turns out it was just, like, a witness noticed something like there was a fight going on but it ne- apparently according to Gordino it never turned physical um having said all that uh, the league issued a statement that Friday saying the NHL was disappointed with the arbitrator's decision on an issue of personal conduct the NHL doesn't have a written domestic violence policy and takes each situation on a case-by-case basis the NHL PA has defended its work on domestic violence and awareness with both rookies and throughout the season, noting that the CBA giving players the right to appeal punishment of off-ice conduct. Um, so, um, so it looks like this could just be a, like a situation where, um, like Austin Watson, it wasn't actually as bad as it seemed, um, and then the NHL is just mad that that their their suspension got reduced um, because they didn't do their due diligence. Um, but um, at the same time, I don't know, 18 games is still quite a lot of games uh, to be missing. So, um, so yeah, but uh, I guess there is I guess some good news to the story that it's not as bad as it seems. Um, if you do believe in, uh, in the girlfriend and Austin Watson, but um, hopefully that's the case. Hopefully they're, they're, she's telling the truth, um, but... Um, yeah, at the same time, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's that kind of situation. Yeah, but he pleaded no contest to it, though. 
he pleaded he pleaded no contest so like and 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 I also heard that um, the evidence that there were marks on on uh, on on his girlfriend, and the question is whether or not they were caused by Austin Watson himself. So like, e- even if even if alcohol fueled this, there was still poor judgment made, and Austin yeah. Watson needs to pay the price for that. And now all of a sudden. You have got a case where Nate Schmidt sure, I missed that part. <laughs> he's suspended for having seven billionths of a milligram of a banned substance in his body. He's now missing more time than Austin Watson will for domestic violence. Yeah. So that does not look good on the NHL. And then Brian Burke goes out and says, I was famous for backing my players up. I would not have even gone to this hearing. I would not have even accompanied my player to this appeal. So for a guy that's been in this league for a long time, for him to say that, it, it, it makes you wonder how much of this situation do we really know? Do we know how bad this really is? Yeah. So that's fair. I, I guess there's like conflicting sides to this. Yeah. And what's what's also interesting is Sham Das, the the person behind the curtain who made this decision to reduce Watson's suspension from 27 games to just 18. He overturned Ryan Braun's 50-game suspension for PED use, and you know what the Major League Baseball did? What? They removed him. <laughs> and it's within the NHL's rights to do, to do the exact same thing. So are they going to go down that road if they, feel so, uh, if they feel so strongly about this decision to uh, why, why this reduction was absolute bogus? So, like, the ball's in the NHL's court here. They could do something if they really wanted to. Right. Instead, instead uh, they go on the tangent of, you know, we're disappointed with the arbitrator's decision. We firmly believe the right to uh, of an appeal to an arbitrator of NHL discipline was never intended to substitute the arbitrator's judgment for that of the commissioner. And they maintain that we're going to hesitate, we're going to we're going to adhere and enforce through firm discipline the standards of personal conduct that we feel are appropriate for our league. So they, they, they basically just stick to, you know, handing out statements instead of just taking action. And, and I also found it interesting when the NHLPA says, while we take domestic violence abuse seriously, we continue to work together with the league to ensure that players are educated on this important societal issue. And, you know, we're focused on domestic violence awareness training um, at a rookie orientation program and stuff like that. But the, the real kicker is when they says the arbitrator's independence helps ensure that the process and the decision are fair. But do you think this decision is fair to the women out there that have been unfairly assaulted? Do you right. think this sends the right message? Is this a principle of hockey? Shouldn't this be in the Declaration of Principles? Because for for trying to send a proper message to everyone to be good role models of society, this is not being a good role model of society. I would think that you shouldn't stand idly by and just say, well, you know, it's an arbitrary decision. We don't like it, but, you know, like, there's only so much we can do. You know, if you have an opportunity to do more, they really should. Right. Because they're, they should be sending the proper message. And right now, 
I don't think they're really sending it, regardless of what Austin's girlfriend is saying right now. And yeah. I think makes certainly makes Austin Watson look better, right. but it doesn't make him look innocent. True. I mean, I yeah, you're right. There is, I, I should have mentioned that, there, there is one side where it's like he... He admitted to it. He said that there's no contest. Uh, he pleaded no contest to domestic assault. There were red marks on her chest, um, according to the police report. But then on the other side, there's like this girlfriend saying like, "Oh, it wasn't actually that bad. I my behavior and state of intoxication led to the police being involved." So it's like, um, and and like we we know that we need to be better in, in self improvement. So I. I'm more leaning towards, like, if this is truly about self-improvement and, like, and I feel like, I don't know if it's necessarily the girlfriend's fault for it, because there's no excuse for being pushed um, um, in a domestic abuse case like that. So, uh, but, like, at the same, like, I feel like just because this girlfriend is taking the blame for it, I feel like they're that kind of reduced the games to 18 instead of 27. And I think that's what overruled it. Um, however, if that's right, then I don't know. But, like, it's it's one of those things that I don't know if we'll ever know the full the full scope of it um, and the full the full details of what's going going on. Um, and, and, and I, I yeah. think if, if, if it was, if it was, if it, I, I think a lot of people are wondering, well, you know, if if it wasn't as severe as as we think it is, why yeah. suspend him in the first place? Like, was right. there, like I said before, when this suspension came out, was was did this happen before? Like, is there a history of this happening, right. or is it just the one incident that True. was publicized? Yeah, that, that that's also a good point too. It's like if it was really that bad, then why is the girlfriend even making this public saying like, oh, I'm I'm taking the blame for this. So yeah, like that there I, I, there is something that we don't know, I feel like that we that may change our minds on things. And that <laughs> um, the press sure. probably do know. And I think yeah, it's up and to, the them NHL to does send that. a message. And I don't think they should terminate his contract, but yeah. I think they should send him down to the AHL. Yeah, no, I'm say, I'm a you're, you're going to have to work your way back up. You need to prove that you belong to this team and you need to show that you've learned and right. you won't do this again because it's about sending a message here. The NHL, I don't think, has sent enough of a proper message with their reaction yeah. to the arbitrator's decision. Right, so I would agree with that. Now yeah. it's on the onus of the organization to make it right. Yeah, I would agree. And I think they've been too. I think they've been too silent on it. Yeah, I, I would agree on that. I I think the NHL and the NHLPA could do a better job with that, but. At the same time, it's like this this girlfriend coming public and saying that it kind of changes changes things in the sense. It's not like like Slava Voinov is another one where it's like that's like that seems to be an open and shut case, and it doesn't even seem like Voinov um, is willing to change. So so there there is that aspect of things because it's like that's really what a suspension is supposed to do. Is it's supposed to make that player think about like, oh, I sh- yeah, shouldn't be doing to make that. You think twice. Right. Whereas, so, so that that's certainly like eighteen games is still enough to where uh, Watson gets the point where it's like, oh, I shouldn't be, you know, in this domestic violence. Um, you know, I shouldn't 
abuse my my girl or anyone really. And meanwhile, Nate Schmidt has done yeah. none of that. And yeah, he was just caught with like seven billions of stuff that apparently um, is enough to be can uh, is enough to be deemed cheating. And he gets twenty games right off the bat, no questions asked. Right, right. For sure, yeah. So that, again, like I said, it's it's conflicting messages that they're sending that I think is pissing off a lot of people. Yeah. No, like for they're sure. not they're not even second they're not even second guessing um the Schmidt suspension and whenever the um whenever this uh, Austin Watson suspension is challenged, appealed and and trimmed down, they're just gonna be like, Okay, well I guess there's not much we can do. Right, right. And that that's that's unfortunate, yeah. Um okay. Uh and then I guess we're going to the Bruins and Sen segment. Uh, yeah. Which is fun. Um, I guess it's fun for both teams now. It's this might be the <laughs> only time this year that it's going to be fun for both of us. Uh, so, yeah. So let's savor it. You talk about your Bruins because I believe yeah. I went first last week. Yeah, we did because I gave you the floor because I didn't know how long your your goodwill would last, and it turns out it did. Yeah. So, uh, but it turns out I mean, well, it turns out the Bruins did play your Senators. Um, uh, which is uh, fun. Uh, it kind of it went pretty well for the Bruins here. Um, if you want to interject at any point, feel free. Because um, okay. you you also watch the game. Because you actually, I missed the third period. So if you want to do, if you want to recap the third period, uh, that's great. Uh, but uh, so uh, we'll start off with Patrice Bergeron. Uh, gets a goal in the first 30 seconds of the game. Um, and then uh, Bergeron also gets another power play goal. It was like a nice tic-tac-toe goal um, towards the end of the first period. Uh, then there was uh, the second period starts, and I was like, okay, uh, <laughs> I guess the Senators are back to earth, uh, but not so much because then Ryan Dezingle gets this goal, um, and then, uh, and then there was a, an interesting goal here with, uh, Chris Wagner, because Charlie McAvoy, he, like, shoots the puck, and then it deflects off, like, Chris Wagner, who was, like, on the ground, because he, he wanted to make sure that, uh, McAvoy got his shot in, but, like, it actually hit Wagner, um, and it deflected off him, and, uh, it went into the net, which was, uh, which, I mean, we'll, we'll take it. Um, but it was, a, it was a funny goal in that perspective. And then, uh, this was the goal that I was kind of upset with because what happened was like, uh, Rask tried to, um, tried to clear the, uh, the puck, um, to, you know, out the blues, the blue line and, um, it ends up hitting Ryan Dezingle and then Ryan Dezingle just, uh, like shoots it right away. And I was just like, Tuca, come on, man! Like you, sh- he should. That was like a soft goal that Tuca should have had, um, but it it um, it was a goal. So it was it was three two at that point. Um, if you want to go to the third period, um, you can. I mean, I guess I, <laughs> uh, I didn't see any of these goals. Although I did see that Bergeron got a hat trick, which was awesome. Um, do you want to recap the rest? Yeah, or? Um, 
Yeah, so um, Pasternak actually got two goals in the third period. He had another. He was another guy that had a big night yep. for Boston. Yeah, two and goals and two assists. Completed his hat trick in the third as well. Yep. Um, I liked Ottawa's fight as well. They trimmed down. Uh, they they were down five to two, and then like a minute later, they make it five to three. Um, but like you said, that slow start gave the Bruins the victory. Like a goal 30 seconds into the hockey game. Not an ideal start. Down 2 nothing after 1 is not good. But yep. after the second period, in each and every single one of the games that Ottawa played, even up until the Philly game, they were either up a goal, down a goal, or tied. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like they were getting blown out of the water. They were in every single game. So, as a Sens fan, I gotta like that. But, um... But yeah, the, the Bruins did what they had to do. They they added a goal to shut it down late. They get an empty netter after Ottawa replies. So um, and that was also yeah, I, that was also Brady other, Kachuk's first game too. Yeah, that's that's true. Right, uh, Brady Kachuk uh, played his first game um, against the Bruins. He was held pointless. He did not get any points, but uh, he. he he had a pretty good debut. He he was mixing it up a little bit. He was he was getting some good looks. Um, he he looked comfortable out there. Yep. He 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 didn't get a lot of ice time, but he looked comfortable when he was out there. So yep. um, there were a lot of good things to look forward to, and and the Sens actually um, outshot the Bruins after. After the first period, the Bruins had the shot advantage in the first period. Then the second and the third, Ottawa kind of took that back a little bit. And um, yeah, I think good. they ended up outshooting the Bruins, not by much, but they outshot them in the game. So yep. um, I, I liked Ottawa's performance after the first, but that first period is is when your Bruins won that game. Yeah. Um, I, I Yeah, two things before I get on to the next game. Uh, okay. The... Yeah, I liked Tuca's performance that time. It was, I mean, although you gave up three goals to the the Senators, um, I still would have rather that than giving up five goals to the uh, to the Capitals in his first game. So that's it's an improvement, um, and we'll we'll work towards it. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, uh, and that was cool. Um, and then that was also another game where Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron were all making the points, um, which is, you know, it's good if it's working, um, but then you you start to worry, like, if the depth is, is not there, um, which we'll talk about um, when uh, when we talk about the, uh, the, the game against Detroit, but because the depth did come back, but it was... It was one of those things where it's like, I'm glad that we have Pasternak and Bergeron and Marchand all in the same line, but you kind of have to, like, if you want to be taken seriously um, as a contender, you know, you need to have more than just a top line. Um, so I don't know, I, I am kind of worried about that, and I feel like that's, we kind of, the Bruins got exposed uh, during the playoffs uh, by the Lightning because of that. Like, when you stop when you stop just that one line, then it's like, where's the scoring going to happen? And that's where I'm not necessarily sure of what's going to happen um, if that happens. Um, so uh, we go to the Edmonton uh, Bruins game. Uh, this was, I, I mentioned earlier on in this episode that Connor McDavid gets this breakaway, and I was like, okay, I guess McDavid's going to ruin the Bruins this time around. Oh, well. 
Um, but uh, it was a beauty of a goal. It was a nice snipe. It was a breakaway. It was just like, just thinking like, like I, I didn't even know who to blame because I was just like, like I couldn't really blame the defense because it's McDavid. I couldn't really blame Halleck because it's McDavid. It's just, just like when it's one on one in a breakaway, you just it's like an automatic that McDavid scores that. Um, Ty Ratty got the assist there too, um, which was a nice pass too. Um, but anyways, uh, so I thought like, oh, okay, like the Oilers are gonna just sneak by this. This is gonna be like a classic trap game or something. Uh, but then, uh, uh, not so much because then Pasternak gets a goal, a power play, and Brad Marchand also gets a power play goal. Uh, interesting to know here that Matt Grizzlick, not Charlie McAvoy, um, got, got the assist here. And it looks like, uh, Matt Grizzlick's going to be on PP1 for a bit, um, until Tory Crew gets healthy, um, which is... Um, a little bit kind of interesting considering that, you know, McAvoy's on the team and he's, he's pretty good. Um, and he's about equal to Tory Krug's thing. And maybe they're just trying to see what they have in Grizzlick, but you know, in the past, Grizzlick doesn't really have that much of a, you know, offensive upside compared to McAvoy, but, um, but I do like Grizzlick, uh for his defensive side of things. But I just, I mean, and so I do like seeing him on the score sheet like this. But it's also at the same time, I'm just like, I don't know how long it's going to last or um, if they're going to actually, you know, if he's going to be or what's going to happen when Tory Krug comes back um, into the lineup. Is, is Krug going to be for sure the power play guy on the team? I feel like McAvoy's more equipped than Grizzlick, so I. But it has been working so far, so I can't really complain just yet. Um, Joe Kim Nordstrom, so we do get some depth scoring this game as well. He scores as well, um, and then there is no scoring in the second period, and then in the third period, Pergeron gets an empty netter. It was kind of funny too. Uh, uh, Brandon Carlo. Um, he he's not really a scorer, um, and if he does score, he gets like uh, you know he he gets assists and all that stuff. But like he had this chance to like he was like maybe like a a couple of inches away from the empty net, and he missed it like like by that like like a s- small amount uh, he missed it. And it was who, who missed it? Sorry, uh, Brandon Carlo. Uh, <laughs> He was like, he was like, he was also like diving too because he was trying to like get it. It was just, it was hysterical to find because he, play, he played like a really good game too. He had a lot of blocks and all that. But yeah, he, he just is just eyes open up. He's like, yeah. this is my moment. This is no, my moment. Not. I'm gonna get a goal here, and he did and, not get it. It was just like, oh god, damn it. Um, but uh. Kind of like snake bitten, like Joe Thornton was a few seasons ago, where yeah. all he could buy was empty net goals. Although it's well, it's a little bit different because you don't expect um, you don't expect Carlo to score any goals where you do for a little bit for uh, Thornton. But it was just like it was just more that it was like an empty netter, and there was like literally nothing that stopped him other than just like this bad luck, really. So it was just like oh god. Uh, that, that's horrible to see. 
Um, and then lastly, we'll we'll go to the um, the Red Wings um, game that happened on fr- on Saturday. Uh, Pasternak gets a goal to start things off. And speaking of Brandon Carlo, he does get an assist. So he does get on the score sheet a little bit later. but um, And it's not a goal, but it's it, an assist is fine as well. Um, Chris Wagner also gets the assist. Um, and then in the second one, uh, Charlie McAvoy gets a goal from the face-off, from the, the face-off dot, almost, um, you know, from the circle. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, then, uh, Jake DeBrusque has this beautiful breakaway. It almost, it looked like it was, like, it looked like Talbot saved, I mean, not Talbot, uh, Bernier sa- uh, saved it, but then it, like, it went through, like, DeBrusque deeped enough where, like, Bernier was, like, uh, like, like, was able to, um, like, l- like, he went five hole, basically, um, under the legs, so, um, but it was like, like they had an angle where like the puck just slowly went over the line, the goal line. Um, and then Pasternak gets a goal in the power play from Bergeron and Marchand, of course. Um, and then in the third period is, was when it started to get a little bit chippy. Uh, Heronic, um gets this power play goal. I was looking forward to a RAS shootout, uh, like a shutout, but it didn't happen. Um, but because uh, he was playing out of his mind, um, but then Pasternak gets a hat trick um, shortly thereafter, um, and then Dylan Larkin gets this shorthanded goal, which was kind of annoying, but um, it made sense. Like it was like a shot, and then. Um, I think Rasmussen, who is, like, just up on front on the net, he also, like, uh, he, like, did this rebound. But it was, the goal was already, like, the goal already happened. The puck was already in the net. Um, And then uh, this was kind of, and then after that, kind of all hell broke loose. Because then Anders Bjork, if you remember him, because he was, like, he was on the top line for a bit last year. Um, early on, and he was like this, you know, Notre Dame prospect, and um, mm-hmm. that we had, and I was excited for him, and that he's been like he's been on the third line for a bit, but he was pretty exciting, um, just like because he, he had been playing well, just not on the score sheet. So he finally mm-hmm. gets this goal. It was it was a beauty too. It was quite a snipe, um, and then Jake DeBrus gets his second goal of the night. Um, or I guess it was a matinee game, and Brandon Carlo gets an assist there. Um, and then lastly, we have this was one of those things where then like last couple of seconds into the to end the game, seven two at this point, um, and like you know Mantha's uh, Mantha and Larkin are arguing with these people, with the Bruins because they're still like Bruins are still shooting and all that stuff. Um, and the Red Wings were not taken too kindly to that. Um, but like, it ended up benefiting the Bruins because uh, Sean Corrali gets this goal um, with like two seconds left in the game. Um, what's crazy here is that it was an 8-2 game, um, but Bernier was in the net for all eight of those goals. It's just... I do not understand that at all. 
Um, kind of like why I don't understand why Bobrovsky was in net for all those eight goals against the Lightning, but that's another point. It's just, I don't under, like, like, you have to, like, I mean, I understand that, like, it, and it wasn't even like the Red Wings were even playing t- tomorrow. It's just like, just put in Jimmy Howard, just, just like, save them the, Bernier the embarrassment or something. Because then you do damage to the Red Wings, but, um, whatever, I guess it's... Plot twist. Yeah. They haven't won a game this year. Do you think they're probably going all in for Jack Hughes? Possibly. I mean, I, I mean, I... I don't know if necessarily Jimmy Howard would have helped at that point, but like if it's like five two, then just like put put Howard in because the game's it, lost it, anyways. It, well, it's it's funny because like yeah. you look at a situation in Dallas, right? And we're gonna continue we're gonna continue to talk about John Gibson if he continues to play out of his mind, but yeah. John Gibson. Was uh, faced fourteen shots in the first period. The shots were fourteen to ten for Dallas. Thirty to four, the shots in the second period for Dallas. So they have forty-four shots through two periods. Gibson stops forty shots, and Brian Miller's in net to start the third. So that that is a situation where pulling the goalie is just like, what are you doing? Right. But if there was ever a time to pull a goalie, like in this situation, you would think, okay, you know. You know, just like get Bernier out of there. Like he doesn't deserve anything. Well, this, and they keep him in the entire game. Well, and also like the Ducks are playing today too, so it's it's not like the other. Yeah. Like I could understand it if it's a back to back, but it's not a back to back. So it's like you can afford to like put in Jimmy Howard there. What's what's the worst thing that's gonna happen? Other than I guess an injury, but like like really like like it, it did not make sense to me why Bernier was still there. Not that I'm complaining because it was against the Bruins, but at the same time, it's just like, why do you even have Bernier still in the game um, like that? Anyways, that's the uh, end of that rant. Uh, Rass played really well, too. Um, Halleck. So here's the thing with the the goaltending situation, because uh, the Halleck had a really good game against the Oilers. Um, yeah. And now it seems like Rask is back to his potential again. Um, by the way, Halleck has a 961 save percentage um, <laughs> in two in two games, but still, um, like so. The thing is, is I'm okay with it being like a one A one B situation where they both play like 41 games each. Um, at this point, because like you know, just give Tuka rest in this the new NHL where you kind of need like it's beneficial to have two backup quarterback like uh, goalies backup quarterback would you rather Tukaras win the Vezina and be like a first round exit or do you want to go deep to the Stanley Cup finals right. and have Tuka like play 45 games no i i would rather yeah i'd rather rest him up exactly that's that's what i was thinking i i don't know if he would win the Vezina anyways but <laughs> I, I think at this point in Tuca's career um, that it's it's beneficial just to give him some rest when he needs it because it's not like back in the old days when he could play sixty, he could start sixty games and be serviceable. But like at this point, the Bruins are likely going to be in the playoffs, and they're going to f- 
probably face either Tampa and Toronto, who are who are in the first round, who are going to be like a juggernauts in offense. So, so you want to make sure that Tuca is healthy because that could that could be the advantage over those two teams. Not that not that I'm saying that Vasilevsky or Anderson aren't bad either, or that the Bruins' offense isn't bad either. Uh, but, but they're gonna the Leafs are gonna but, rely on Anderson a lot. The yeah. Bolts are gonna rely on Vasilevsky a lot. True. The Bruins, out of the three teams, have the luxury of going to Halak, especially if he continues to put up right. numbers that he has. Exactly. So I'm saying that like Halak is the better goaltender uh, backup. To I don't even know what the the Lightning's backup are or the Leafs backups are. So um, I. Yeah, it's Sparks in Toronto at the moment and Domingue in Tampa. Oh, right, right. Okay, thank you for having that <laughs> offhand. So I feel like uh, I feel like I'm 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 perfectly okay with it being a one A one B situation. I am a little bit worried if Halleck can be consistent still, but at at the moment I am okay. I'm officially okay with Halleck being a one B to Tuka's one A. Um, at this point in time, um, all these people, fans are saying that if Halleck's the starter and, and all that stuff it, are crazy. Um, but so I, but I, I would still be okay with giving Halleck 40 starts at least. All right. Anyways. Um, and then lastly, I will say that, um, and then before I get to you, cause I think we're, oh, I have t- three things. Pasa got his 100th goal. He was, uh, you want to know some stats here. He was the third fastest Bruin to get 100 goals. Uh, the fastest Bruin was Barry Peterson, who does some, uh, who is like the analyst of the Nesson for uh, some of the games. So that was, that was a pretty cool stat that Nesson showed. And then also they said that he's the third fastest Czech player to get 100 goals. And surprise, surprise, the, the fastest Czech player uh, to get 100 goals is not a guy named Jarmir Jager, but it's Peter Klima, which I have never oh, heard yeah. of. So that, that was, um, those were cool um, things. He also has the most points. He surpassed Dreisaitl for the most points uh, by a player in the uh, 2014 draft class. Um, he surpassed Drysaddle. I, I I'm sure Drysaddle and Pasternak are com- going to be competing for the rest of their years for that title, um, for the rest of their time. But um, at the moment, uh, Pasternak has the most points um, in the 2014 class, and uh, Krejci gets his four hundredth assist, which is pretty cool. Uh, speaking of Czech players, and lastly, I do want to touch up on. Ryan Donato was scratched for the Edmonton game, um, but he comes back uh, to play in Detroit. He played pretty decently. He didn't get on the score sheet, but he played pretty decently on uh, against Detroit. Um, so I think the thing is, is that we saw that DeBrosk and Bork get on the score sheet more than once during the Detroit game, and that's kind of the depth I was talking about. Um, and I hope to see more of that kind of stuff to happen more. And I feel like Donato is key to that. If Donato can get going, 
um, like, you know, watch out. Like, the Bruins are going to be a serious contender. And I feel like, I mean, if they weren't already, um, but, like, Bork, DeBrusque, Donato, um, Krejci, uh, who else? Uh, Nordstrom, um, Heinen, they all have to get some points, get some secondary scoring. Because, like, it's great that Bergeron and Marshawn and Pasternak are, like, off to a great, great start. Um, they're the, definitely the top line, the best line in the league by far. Um, although I guess maybe Ben, Sagan, and Radulov, but I, I, I would say Bergeron, Marshawn, and Pasternak are definitely the best um, in the league. Um, but, like, what's going to happen if, if a, a team stops the, that top line? Then the Bruins are screwed. And I feel like if Donato can get going, DeBrus can get going, and even if Bjork can, it was great to see Bjork get on the scoreboard. I feel like if those guys can get going, they can kind of be like the Braden Point, the Yanni Gord types that the Lightning have, and that can um, make it a little bit even in terms of where the Lightning are at uh, versus where the Bruins are at. So, um I would like to see more out of the depth scoring for the Bruins, and that's kind of what I'm looking forward to um, to seeing in the future. I feel like I've gone on a long time now, so uh, now I'll take it to you, uh, Steve, with your sense. <laughs> well, uh, before we get to the sense, uh, I have some Bruins stats for you. Bergeron yeah. and Marshawn have combined for four goals on the year, but both of them are the NHL's top five when it comes to total points. Bergeron's got 11 points. Marshawn has 10. Pasternak, on the other hand, second in goals scored. His uh, hat trick against the Red Wings puts him at seven goals. And uh, like you said, Rask uh, has bounced back a little bit, so that's also good. Yep. Anyways, on to um, the sense from the Boston game. Um, you have guys like DeMello getting two assists, um, finished the game with more goals than Eric Carlson on the year, which <laughs> who would have saw that coming? Right. Uh, Zingle, like you said, two goals in that game. He's been a good surprise. Um, so after that game against Boston, the Sens went home to kickstart a five game homestand. Now three games remaining in that their first opponent was the Philadelphia Flyers. No gritty was not at the game. He, uh, he stayed home. He was not at the Sens game. Um, and maybe it could have been even worse for Craig Anderson if he had showed up because Craig Anderson has been absolutely fed to the Wolves this year, as per usual. Uh, the Flyers had 45 shots in the game, and they got 20 of them on the power play as a result of seven power play chances. Absolutely mind-boggling that they only got two goals out of those seven power plays um, because... Um, the Flyers were just absolutely peppering him. Wayne Simmons had no points, but he had four shots. Lawton had two goals on five, five shots, Scott Lawton. Uh, Claude Drew, seven shots, two points. Voracek had a five-point night, scored two goals on six shots. And Philly's blue line had 16 shots and somehow got three helpers from the legend that is Rako Kudis. So... You kind of know it was a bad night for Anderson when Rako Kudis gets three helpers. But well, um, despite all of that, the Sens were only down by a goal after 40 minutes. Um, and um, I, like I said, their, their fight was prevalent throughout the game. 
Um, there was a time when uh, Anderson was on the bench for an empty netter. Uh, the Flyers had a wide open net, and uh, Chris Weidman is well, not a wide open net, but Chris Weidman was staying there. All they had to do is get it by him. But Chris Weidman makes a big save to keep it a two goal game. The Flyers eventually score like 10 seconds later, but still, I, I, I respect the fight. I respect the fight a lot from the Sens, um, especially. Again, when you consider that they're not supposed to be doing much of anything, and and a lot of the young guys are stepping up and making these plays, their power play is actually not crap this year. Um, actually, did better than the Flyers in this game. It went three for seven, thirteen shots on goal. Um, they're believe it or not, top ten power play in the league at the moment. Uh, so there's a lot that this team is doing in the first five games that maybe convinces veterans like Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne to stick around, but. Obviously, those situations are going to play themselves out uh, as the season goes on. We'll keep you updated there. Um, and against the LA Kings, we saw more progress. Um, a one nothing goal from Chris Tierney, uh, 6.29 into the game. Chris Weidman gets a goal. Mark Stone gets a goal. They're up 3 nothing after one. And then they chase Jack Campbell after 11 shots following Colin White's second of the year. They're up 4 nothing halfway through the second. And um, they end up winning the game 5-1. to one. Weidman scores his second of the game. Uh, that was Ottawa's fifth goal of the night. Um, again, lopsided shots against Ottawa. 37-22, to 22, the Canes had the edge uh, in shots. And uh, Anderson, again, was in beast mode. He stopped 32 shots on the final 40 minutes after L.A. just got first, uh, five shots in the first period. So... Um, that, that was good. Anderson continuing his solid play. And the penalty kill in this game, much better than against Philly. Uh, went five for five, turning aside all nine shots. On their lone power play chance, Ottawa capitalized and only got two shots. Um, so, um, I, again, I, I liked the fight. I liked what Ottawa brought to the table. Their depth shined. Um, you had Shabbat chiming in with another two helpers. You had Matt Duchesne getting two helpers of his own. And by the time they're up for nothing, at least nine cents players had at least a point. And you have guys like Tierney, DeMello, Christian Yaros, who was called up, Mikhail Bodker. Um, like, I think I mentioned Maxim Lajoie. If I didn't, I'll mention him again. Um, and someone named Ben Harper led all cents defensemen in time on ice against the Kings. So, um, like I said, every single new face um, – has contributed in some way through these first five or so games. And as, as a sense fan, I'm, I'm pretty pleased about that. I'm, I'm certainly liking the new look of this team. Um, I'm kind of hopeful as to uh, what could be coming forward. They're, they're starting to gain my interest again, but, um, but before I get to, um, to what they're going to be up against uh, this week? Do you? Th- oh, I wanted. I wanted to. Do you th- point hey, wait. Out can I? Can I ask? Uh, do you think this will continue? Do I think this will? Con- I hope it continues. Um, I don't know if it will because this is again a young team that you know when you play a run and gun type of offense, um, you're going to give up chances the other way and you're going to get burned and a young team is going to make mistakes like that. And they're going to have to find a way to play smarter. It'll be interesting to see how Guy Boucher 
handles the young guys um, as the year continues if he goes back into a more of a defensive shell again. But um, that's that's going to be the big test for me is how this team is going to be coached. Are they going to be coached in a run and gun, you know, at least give the fans something to cheer about type of style, even if we give up six or seven goals a night? Or are we going to see a more defensive-minded, boring team that is maybe going to keep the score close but not going to garner any results? And and I think struggling with that identity might do the sense in. But if they're able to uh, keep it fun and entertaining and win some hockey games, um, the Ottawa Senators could surprise a lot of teams. And you look at Craig Anderson, I think he's going to have to be a big part of that. He's faced the fourth most shots on goal um, out of all goalies in the league so far. And even though his GAA is over three, he has a 913 save percentage, which is pretty good considering his GAA is over three. So um, there's potential at least to, for the first 10 games, stay in the hunt. But my, my question is, where is this team going to be by Christmas? And I think that might serve as an indication of whether or not they're going to make it interesting March or April. It's all going to depend on where they are at Christmas. But I wanted to get to the play of two notable rookies. We're going to talk about Max Lajoie again, but first off, um, I want to talk about Brady Kachuk. Now, did you ever get to see him play college hockey, Brett? Uh, Just the bean pot. Just the bean pot? And and what did you think of his game then? Uh... I mean, the big comparable was that he was like a power forward, uh, kind of like Matthew Kachuk, his brother, um, but not like, but like when I, I was kind of surprised because I was looking at his stats uh, like a, sometime this summer and I saw like he he only had like eight goals at BU, um, so I was surprised to see that. But then uh, someone told me, I think it was around when he was drafted, that the reason for that was because, like, towards the end of the season, uh, like, at the beginning of the season, he started slow, but then towards the end of the season, he um, he sort of, like, got his team together and started becoming this leader, and that was when he started to pick things up and started to score goals and all that stuff and, and, and get on the score sheet. So um, so that, that kind of, like, showed more about, like, his leadership quality than... Than anything. So, um, yeah, well, there wasn't a slow start for him in his second game. True. He got two goals, one assist, six shots on the night, two power play points, four hits, in th- just 13 minutes and five seconds of ice time. That was against Philly. And out of those 13 minutes and five seconds, he spent four minutes and seven seconds of that on the power play. Um, so he was pretty good there. He also got a shot on goal against the Kings, registered two assists in that game, played just a bit more over 13 minutes uh, in that game. So in the limited ice time that he has uh, played in for Ottawa, Brady Kachuk has been very efficient, and I'm almost wondering if maybe he doesn't go back to the OHL or, yeah. or if he spends the rest of the year in the OHL because uh, he seems to be – um, a, a pretty good fit with the Sens offense right now. Max Lajoie has also continued his solid play. He had he actually bettered his multi-point debut. He had three points in the Philly game. He got his second and third goals of the campaign in that game. 
Four shots on the night, led all sense defensemen in ice time, played a key role on both the power play and the penalty kill in that game. Um, and what's also interesting is that the Sens have six players after the Philly game. They had six players um, on a point per game pace. Not one of them was named Mark Stone or Matt Duchesne. And some of the guys on that list were uh, Thomas Shabbat, uh, Zach Smith, Ryan DeSingle. So um, there have been a lot of unsung heroes that have really stepped up to the plate and uh, they've made a pretty big impact. Um, that being said, um, the crowd isn't picking up on that. And um, they had 15,858 in attendance for the season opener against Chicago. And season ticket holders for that game were offered a pair of freebie tickets as a token of appreciation. So that kind of maybe boasted those numbers a bit. The Philly home game, it was 13,215. So it was less than the home opener. Uh, so obviously there are some trust issues with the fans that still need to be worked out between them and ownership. But I think if the Sens continue to play at this pace, um, there's, there's certainly a lot to look forward to, and uh, maybe those, the fans are going to feed off of that. So it'll be interesting to see what they do this week. The Stars are in town uh, Monday, which by the time you're listening to this um, might be happening right now, might be hours away from puck drop, or if you listen to it on Tuesday, you'll already know the score. But anyways, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, they actually get a couple of days to rest up uh, before their next game. That would be a Saturday night date with the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, hopefully the Sens uh, continue to make uh, progress this week, and uh, I'll continue to be optimistic, hopefully. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's about it. I guess we're at two hours here for something that's a short week. <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> well, I think it's be- it's because we both talked about the Bruins and the Sens and for, a long t- for a long period of time. Uh, that must be it. Uh, yep, uh, uh, we're on Twitter, Lace Them Up, our Facebook is Lace Them Up, oh wait, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast, um, yeah, and, uh, that's about it, uh, we're on SoundCloud and iTunes, we should be, sorry this is another long episode, but I think you guys should be used to this by now, um, my name's Brett Dubuff. My name's Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 142, not guaranteeing it to be two hours, but it could be on the list of my podcast.